You are listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Alex Ebsuri. This is the first episode of the podcast, which will cover the rich relationship between the United States and Kurdistan. Each episode includes a short summary of the latest news about Kurdistan-U.S. relations, followed by an interview with Americans, Kurds, Kurdish Americans, and others working to further our partnerships and our mutual interests. Yes, we'll be talking about the Peshmerga and U.S.-Kurdistan security cooperation. We will definitely be talking about the ongoing humanitarian crisis in the Kurdistan region. But this podcast goes deeper than that. We'll be talking about art and culture, we'll be talking about economic ties, and much, much more. I'm very excited that for our first interview, we have Heba Al-Kayal, who curated an exhibition of Kurdish artists, which is currently showing at the Middle East Institute. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happened in the U.S.-Kurdistan relationship in the past month. And for that, I'm going to turn to my colleague here at the KRG representation, Tara Hamawendi. Hi, Tara Khan. Hi, Alex. Tell me, what's been happening between the U.S. and Kurdistan lately? Well, it's been a busy few weeks with lots of high-level contacts between the Kurdistan regional government and the United States. First, of course, was the meeting between President Nitschirvan Barzani and President Donald Trump on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. From the video of the meetings and from people who were there, we know that they had good rapport, uh, good chemistry. President Trump described the people of Kurdistan as great people and reiterated America's gratitude and appreciation for the Kurdistan region and the Peshmerga for their role in defeating ISIS and protecting ethnic and religious communities in Kurdistan. President Barzani has been invited uh, to Washington, although we're not sure when he will be here, but hopefully soon. Shortly after the president's meeting in Davos, Prime Minister Masrur Barzani had a phone call with U.S. Secretary of Energy Sam Burlett. This is only the latest in a series of contacts between the KRG and the U.S. Energy Department, which is interested in developing Kurdistan's oil sector. Here in Washington, KRG Representative Bayan Sami Abdurrahman met with Mad Zeiss, who serves as the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Office of International Affairs. It was also great to see U.S. Ambassador to Iraq Matthew Tuller come from Baghdad for meetings with KRG officials and to tour some of the areas in the north. Among the places that he visited was the tomb of the Jewish prophet Nahum. After falling in disrepair, the tomb is undergoing restoration with fundings from the U.S., KRG, and private donors. Wow, that's great. I've, I've actually been there a few times. I, I can tell you, Al-Kosh, um, where that tomb is located, is just a, just a magical town. Okay, uh, what else has happened recently? Well, we were really excited in January to add two new co-chairs to the Kurdish-American Congressional Caucus. What, what is the Kurdish-American Congressional Caucus? The Kurdish Caucus, as we often call it, is a group of members of the House of Representatives that is concerned with issues related to Kurdistan. It currently has 44 members and, as of last month, is led by four members of Congress from both parties. The caucus has been led for some time by Congressman Francis Rooney from Florida and Congressman Ralph Abraham from Louisiana. In January, Congressman Jason Crow from Wisconsin and Congressman Jim Cooper from Tennessee both announced that they would join as co-chairs. Congressman Crow, as you know, is a U.S. military veteran who served in Iraq in 2003 and later in Afghanistan and is now a member of Congress. Congressman Cooper represents Nashville, where the largest Kurdish community population in the U.S. lives. 
He's been a good friend to his Kurdish constituents, and it's so great to see him co-lead the Kurdish caucus as well. I actually grew up in Nashville, and at the airport, uh, there's a sign that says, Bakhir Hatiyal, so I'm sure Congressman Cooper sees that every time he goes back to his district. What What does that mean, Bakhir uh, Hatiyal? Well, it's Bakhir Hati, welcome in Kurdish, and y'all, you know, Tennessean for all of you. Uh, right. So I guess uh, Kurds in Nashville use y'all. Of course. We also drink iced tea and eat fried chicken. True Southerners. So what else, what else do we have here? I'm sure you know about the tensions between the U.S. and Iran. There were protests at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, rocket and missile attacks on U.S. diplomatic and military facilities, and of course the killing of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani by the U.S. President Barzani issued a statement calling for peace, saying that Iraq should not be a battleground for regional and international forces. There was also a vote in January in Iraqi parliament to remove U.S. forces from Iraq. No Kurdish MPs attended the session, so the Kurdish bloc didn't vote. Karaji officials have made it clear that ISIS remains a threat to Iraq and that the U.S. plays a critical role in supporting local security forces. For now, it seems that things have cooled off a bit, but it has been a tense few weeks. Well, that sure was a busy month. Thank you for that, Tarhan. I'm very excited to be here with Heba Al-Kayal, who curated the exhibition Speaking Across Mountains, Kurdish Artists in Dialogue, currently on display at the Middle East Institute in Washington. The exhibition, which features the work of artists from different parts of Kurdistan, was sponsored by the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in the United States and the New York-based organization Justice for Kurds. The exhibition will be on display until February 20th, so be sure to check it out if you haven't already. Welcome to the podcast, Heba. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Uh, you've curated other shows in the, about Middle Eastern art, and I believe, though, that this is the first show you've done about Kurdish art in particular. Can you tell me, what's different about curating a show with Kurdish artists? I don't think there's really much difference in the sense of how artists work and how, as a curator, I would approach an exhibition um, or constructing the curatorial objectives or ideas behind an exhibition. Um, I think that what I discovered, or what I knew that I was going to deal with in this exhibition was thinking deeper about identity and thinking deeper about points of inspiration or the personal factors that contributed to the development of an artist's artwork. I knew that I was going to be getting deeper into something that was more personal, perhaps. As I walk through this exhibition, I can, I can pick out themes that I recognize. But can you tell me, what are some of the themes that you were drawing together as you curated this show? I think one thing that I was really drawn to was struggle and the desire to assert one's identity and one's place in the world. And I think that we all do that as we go through our lives, right? Regardless whether you're Turkish, Palestinian, American, what have you. But I think the thing that I was most struck with as I spoke to artists and as I was trying to select the works was the pride um, and also sort of the ideas about collective culture and collective humanity and collective struggle. And I would say that those are some of the ideas and themes that uh, percolated to the surface as I was doing my research. And you, and you feel that that theme of uh, Kurdish, that's, that's part of the theme of Kurdish identity, this idea of struggle and, um, and all of them were, were speaking at that at different directions. I think that um, struggle is one element of, of Kurdish identity, absolutely, and Kurdish history. But I think there were also a lot of other beautiful and joyful and 
um, uplifting elements of Kurdish identity and Kurdish history and Kurdish culture that I also tried to bring forward. And, you know, my knowledge and my encounters with different uh, people who identify as Kurds um, really left very different impressions on me. So, for instance, Sirwan Baran, who is an Iraqi Kurdish artist, as much as he had struggled um, growing up in Iraq, being involved, being uh, conscripted into the military, and being forced to support Saddam Hussein's uh many wars and activities, you know, Sirwen is also always very hopeful and optimistic about what's to come and what could come and what could happen. And so, you know, there was optimism, even though Sirwen's work is very um, hard and its subjects are very critical of, of what's taken place in Iraq. There's still hope. And, you know, I know Sirwen on a personal basis now, and I know how much he loves music and I know how much he loves life. And I always um, am struck by how artists look for that. And sometimes you might not see it explicitly in their work, but the fact that they produce art is because they're always trying to find something joyful in life. I was really taken, I, I've seen a lot of Kurdish art before and I, I love a lot of Kurdish art. We have uh, a lot of Kurdish artists hanging in our office. Um, but I was wondering if you could speak specifically to the technical capabilities of some of the artists that were exhibited. Sure. One of the main objectives um, I always sort of place when I'm trying to curate a show or I'm doing some writing about Middle Eastern artists is I always want to show and prove that our artists are on par with artists anywhere else in the world, that their technical abilities and the way that they think and approach art is in line and with, with artists here, with artists in Europe, because that's always been the the way that people measure themselves against and it's the way that collectors think about art in the region you know is it good enough is it as good as so and so in the UK or so and so in France you know the history of art is one that is often considered to have started in Europe but really art started in our region in the Middle East and um and so the way I I I viewed it was I wanted to show I wanted to create an exhibition that would highlight just how technically adept these artists are and um and so all of these artists really the medium that they've used they've not only mastered it before but they've really brought forth an exceptional example of their work to this exhibition so Haif Kahraman is a known and established artist based in Los Angeles and she is widely recognized here in the United States. Um, but she really, this is the first time she's ever exhibited with Kurdish artists. And when I asked her, would she be willing to to show, um, she said, Hiba, if I don't show with, with you and in this exhibition, when will I ever have the opportunity to show as a Kurdish artist? And I feel it's imperative that I participate. Um, and so she was able to loan us a small work from her latest series that has this incredible... Um, figure, abstraction of a female figure, and it just shows a painterly excellence that, you know, I challenge anyone to find somebody that is better than Hive at what she does. Um, Walid City has um, offered an incredible installation that's also like a painting, and that, that work is a 3D sculpture of the mountains, and, you know, again, it is just both 
it's beautiful because you approach it and you think it's a painting, but it's also very much a sculpture. Um, Connie Camille is a uh, artist who is based in Manchester in the UK, and her work is mixed media. She her work actually incorporates the use of her own hair, and um, you know the, it's it's a piece of conceptual artwork that really could be in any museum here in the United States or in Europe. So you know, there's just um, Savaz Boyraz is a photographer, a Turkish uh, Kurdish photographer, and he, his work. Um, takes objects that have been destroyed at sites where there were um, fights between Kurdish forces and Turkish government forces. And the photographs that he takes are composed so beautifully and taken in such a way that they're both an incredible piece of photography, but also an incredible example of photography, but also an incredible work of art just in terms of composition and colors. So all of these artists, all of the artists that were in the show, really, um, I really believe that technically they're doing work that is of an international caliber um, that could be placed in any museum anywhere in the world. Can you walk me through the decision to call the show, speaking across mountains, Kurdish artists in dialogue? Uh, of course, mountains play a central role in Kurdish identity. Uh, it's cliche to say that the Kurds have no friend but the mountains. Um, but can you tell me, did you consider any other names and why did you settle on that? I did consider other names, but I don't even remember what they are now, which is funny because, you know, I was giving a lot of thought to how to really brand this show because the a title of an exhibition really becomes the brand of the show that people carry for years and years afterwards, right? And I really wanted something impactful and something that would be strong, but sort of summarize the exhibition and the way that I came to this title really was in my research and in trying to select artworks, what was incredible was that I would speak to one artist and they would say, Hiba, you really should speak to this artist and you really should speak to that other artist also. They're doing some incredible work. So the research process to put together this exhibition resulted in me relying on the recommendations and the advice of the first initial artists I approached. And what I realized is that although these artists are dispersed across Europe and the Middle East, they really were in touch with one another. And they were speaking to one another, not simply to stay in touch because they were either friends or family or acquaintances, but that they were in touch and in dialogue artistically. And it was a way of strengthening that bond between them it was through art. And so there were artistic and cultural, intellectual and emotional dialogues taking place. So what I realized also is that there were many mountain ranges that were separating these artists, whether they were the European mountain ranges, Middle Eastern mountain ranges, Zagros mountain ranges. So I thought it would be appropriate to sort of position the title in such a way as to pay homage to the mountain, but also really speak to the fact that these were people who were spread out and had thousands of miles between them, but were still somehow able to overcome that distance and that difficulty of communication by speaking to one another. Because speaking across a mountain is almost impossible, but somehow these artists do speak to one another on a regular basis. 
So, Heba, uh, at the end of every show, we are asking our guests uh, three questions. Um, and so I'll, I'll start off the first one on you. Uh, when and how did you first hear about Kurdistan? I'm embarrassed to say that I was 18 years old when I first, I not heard about Kurdistan, but sort of like registered what it was. Um, and I was actually visiting friends in London and I went out with a, with with my friend who was meeting some other friends in a park and we were sitting around and one of the friends had really red hair and I was like I asked him like how how is it you have really red hair he's like I don't know I'm Kurdish and I'm like excuse me he's like you know I'm from the north of Iraq and I was like oh okay and I went home and googled that and you know but that embarrassingly that was sort of like the first time it sort of registered that Kurdistan is sort of like a place and that there are people that identify as being Kurdish. But what I remember most about that incident was the pride with which he spoke about being Kurdish and how he identified himself so strongly to me as being Kurdish. Um, I don't know if Kurdish people really predominantly have red hair. I don't, (laughs) I think, you know, like I don't think that's what he was trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, that's really the moment that I sort of first registered this idea of there is a people and there's a history. Um, and that it's something that I should know more about. Hmm. Uh, you know a lot of Kurdish artists and you worked with some of the Kurdish artists on this show. What's a word or a phrase that, that sums up Kurdistan for you? I initially want to say pride, but I think that I would say uh, dignity or dignified. Um, you know, they carry the struggle and they carry the atrocities that have occurred in a way that really sort of shows to you the strength and optimism that they carry. But there's something about them, about all the wonderful people that I've encountered and met that really sort of give me the sense that they're aware of the struggles, they're aware of their history, and they're aware of what needs to be done, but they're doing it with a courage, um, and, you know, a, a large degree of courage. And, I, and to me, that just really could be summed up with... Um, with the word dignified. Now, the, the name of this podcast is Kurdistan in America. So as a corollary to that, uh, I want to ask you, what's a, what's a word or a phrase that sums up America for you? You know, it's funny because there is a word that sums up America for me. And unfortunately, it doesn't relate to what's taking place today. But I hope that we return to that. Um, and that word is hope. Um, and I think that when we think about Um, you know, people that have come into America, you know, whether it was an Eastern European immigrant coming through Ellis Island, or, you know, it's a student who's been accepted to go to graduate school and has hope for the experiences and the um, potential life change that could happen. You know, I think that hope really is a word that one could identify with this idea and history of America. Um, and I hope we can, re- I, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be a long time before we turn to this sentiment or this feeling that anything is possible in America. Well, Hiba, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, the show is phenomenal. Uh, you did an excellent job selecting and curating the works um, that, that we see at the Middle East Institute. Um, and I'll, I'm excited to be there uh, and see it before it ends as well. Thank you so much for having me, Alex, and I really would love to extend my thanks to the Kurdish mission 
and to the uh, representative, uh, Ms. Bayan, for their support. And on behalf of the Middle East Institute, really just endless thanks. It If it hadn't been for the Kurdish mission, we wouldn't have been able to pull off this exhibition. And I, on behalf of the Middle East Institute and the artists, thank you so much. That's all for this episode of the Kurdistan in America podcast. We'll be putting out a new episode each month, so be sure to tune in for more updates and interviews. If you would like to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you know someone who you think should be interviewed, or if you just like to drop us a comment, you can do so at kurdistan.in.america at gmail.com. Thanks, and herbiji Kurdistan. I'm a